morning. I want to start by thanking you. Um, it's not every day that I get a chance to preach God's word to you all. And so I want to not only thank you all generally, but the pastors specifically for trusting me and other brothers to stand up here. Um, it, it's not a small thing what we do when we gather on Sunday mornings. We start our service singing, speaking to God, praying, speaking to God. And then we set aside this time to hear from God. The God who created the universe, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created us and will come one day come to judge us. It's not a small thing. And so I want to start by going to that God in prayer. Asking him to be with us as we hear from his word. Father, we we once again come to you. Lifting our voices to you, God, as we prepare to hear what your word has to say to us. God, we praise you for the gift that is scripture. God, because you are living and active, your word is living and active. You did not only speak directly to the people who wrote these words, you speak directly to us through these words. God, because it's your word that we're getting ready to hear, would you open our ears to hear? Would you open our eyes to see? Would you open our hearts that we might embrace what you have to say to us, God? God, and as I do my best to present what I've studied, Lord, would you give us all the grace of forgetfulness for anything that I say that is not helpful for communicating what you would have to say to us? God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... It's going to be helpful to have a Bible today. So if you do not have one, no shame, raise your hand. We have ushers in the back that can bring down Bibles to you. But what we're going to be doing is looking in Psalm chapter 96. Psalm 96. And the title for my sermon today is Declare His Glory. So again, that's Psalm 96. The title is Declare His Glory. And if you're visiting with us today, this is the second sermon in a four-part series entitled Worship in the Splendor of Holiness. And each week as we consider this theme through song, through prayer, through preaching, our aim is to consider what it means to worship God in a manner befitting who he is. Because God is not impressed by the fancy clothes we show up in. He's not impressed by the fancy words we use when speaking to him. He's not impressed by standing on a stage holding a microphone. God is impressed with holiness. And so when we consider what it means to worship in a manner befitting him, worshiping in the splendor of holiness, it would do us well to know what is it that we mean by that? When we say in the splendor of holiness, what we're really saying is dressed in holiness, dressed in holy attire, Dressed in attire that's beautiful to God, because again, this attire is not beautiful to God, but holiness is beautiful to God. And what we're going to see in Psalm 96 is the psalmist showing us what worship looks like for people who are dressed in holiness. This psalm is not, to be clear, specifically going to tell us how to become holy, although it does give some hints at that. But what it's going to do is tell us having been made holy. This is what your worship ought to look like. 
And I think that's particularly relevant for us. And so while we don't normally do it this way, I am going to ask you all to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. Psalm 96. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, as I mentioned, this is a psalm. And this is a psalm that is a song. More specifically, it's a song of praise. And even more specific, it's a song of praise that invites other people to praise with us. And we know this because as we look at the psalm, we can break it into two parts. In fact, in my study, I saw that most people would break this psalm into two parts. The first part is verses 1 through 6, and the second part are verses 7 through 13. So we'll call it movement 1 and movement 2, and those two movements are then broken into two parts. You have a call to worship, and you have a cause of that worship that we're called to. And when we look at the call to worship, as we will shortly, we learn two things in each of these movements. In the first one, that's the one we're going to start with. In the first movement, we hear that or we learn that the hearers of this song are called to worship God. That's why it's called a call to worship, because they're called to worship. But the second thing we hear is that the hearers of the song are called to sing the song in other places so that other people can hear the song and be called to worship the God that the song is about. So it's very simple when you can say, no, I'm, it is simple. We're singing a song that invites people to sing a song to God. We're worshiping in a manner that invites others to worship the God that we worship. And to see that, since we have the kids in the house today, I wanted to make you all aware that you already know about songs that do this very thing. And so I'm going to need your help. I'm especially going to need the help of the kids. So kids, can you raise your hand if you're here? Thank you so much. Adults, can you raise your hand if you're here? Because I'm going to need your help as well. This is a song that invites other people to sing along. 
we know a song like that. I'm going to start singing it. I don't sing very well. That's why you're going to join me once you pick up on the song that I'm singing, okay? Okay? Kids, okay? Are you going to help me sing? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so the song is this. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. The ABC song is evangelistic. Did y'all know the ABC song is evangelistic? The ABC song says, now I know my ABCs. Next time, won't you sing with me? That's what evangelism is. It's singing a song and saying, look, what I know, I need you to know. Because the song isn't just teaching the ABCs. You don't need a song for that. The song is saying, no, my knowledge about the ABCs is a good thing. My knowledge about the ABCs is a part of my identity. My knowledge of the ABCs is something I'm proud of. It's something worthy of singing about. But it's not just that. I'm not content just knowing the ABCs myself. You got to know the power of letters. I need to sing to you and invite you. Next time I sing this song, would you sing with me? That's what this psalm is doing. This psalm is the ABCs of the psalms. It's saying, now I know God. Now I know the power of his salvation. Now I know the power of his provision. I want to go out and sing that to other people so that they can know that. But I don't just want them to know it. I want them to join me in singing it. And I hope that colors the way we come to the scripture today. Amen? Y'all can clap. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> But, but here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to examine this scripture. We're going to look at four questions. And the questions are, what are we called to do? How should we do it? Who is called to do it? And why should we do it? And to answer those questions, I have four points. They may be on the screen. They are. What are we called to do? We're called to praise the Lord. How are we to do it? According to his greatness. Who is to do it? All the earth. And why are we to do it? For he comes. For he comes. And so to show these points through the scripture, what we're going to do is we're going to hyper-focus on a few scriptures for each point, and then I'll reference some of the other parts of the passage that also highlight that element before going on to the next point, okay? Amen. Okay. Point number one, praise the Lord. What are we to do? We're to praise the Lord. Remember, the call to worship is calling us to worship. It's calling us to praise. And what we see in movement one and in movement two is repetition. Movement one starts in verse one and verse two. And the psalmist says, sing, sing, sing. Verses seven and eight, ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. The repetition is supposed to call our attention. This is the focus. Sing to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, for the Lord is to be praised, verse 4. We are to worship the Lord in the splendor 
of holiness, verse 9. We're being called to worship. We're being called to praise. And we're being called to sing specifically. And so I guess one of the first things to note is that God values singing. Which is an amazing thing, that God values singing. I mean, we can talk, we can write, we have other ways of communicating, but for some reason, the Lord values our sung word. He values music. He values our singing. And so it's no coincidence that each Sunday we start with a song. Throughout service, we sing songs. At the end of service, we close with a hymn because we know that God loves to hear us sing. But not only that, we're called to sing a new song in verse 1. And a lot could be said about what is meant by a new song. But I think we can start by just taking it at what it seems like it means. That we're to consider unique ways, unique things to sing about to God. That we're to sing, sing, sing a new song. We're to sing, sing, sing a new song that blesses his name. When I think about this, I consider what it says in Lamentations 3, which you don't have to turn to. I'll just read it. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How fitting is it that we're called to sing a new song and each morning we have new mercies to celebrate. God is providing even the material for making our new songs. But we're not just called to sing new songs on our own. When we wake up in the morning, experiencing those new mercies, this psalm is actually speaking not to you singing, it's to y'all singing. It's a corporate call to worship. And we know that for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons we know that it's a y'all, not a you, is because the actual language underlying the English language says sing, but it's plural. So it's like, y'all sing. But perhaps for those of us who don't know Greek, it's helpful to know another place in the Bible where we see this psalm appear, and it's very evident that it's not just one person singing, it's a lot of people singing. And so if you care to turn to Chronicles 16, you're welcome to. You do not have to, because I'm going to explain to you what it says. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we actually see the words of this psalm in the context of a broader narrative. And that narrative is the Ark of the Covenant being brought back into Jerusalem by David and the people. And what you read about, I think it's in verses, or in chapter 15 initially, you read about essentially a parade where the people are celebrating, David is dancing in the streets and apparently tearing it up because people are commenting on it. We see them making sacrifices of animals and David says to sing songs. And the songs that we see him having them sing come from the Psalms. And one of them is this song. So David, when the Ark of the Covenant is coming back into the city, says, sing, sing, sing a new song to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory. And he's singing to y'all, not y'all. Y'all weren't there. He's singing to the people who were there, though. He's singing to the ancient Israelites, God's chosen people. And so not only do we see that it's a corporate song, 
it's also a song that is initially given to those who are among the household of the Lord. And I think that's important because it doesn't take long in Psalm 96, just even in verse one, it first says, sing to the Lord a new song. Then it says, sing to the Lord all the earth. But the burden is first placed on God's people. David wasn't talking to the whole earth when he told them to sing. This is like an expanding circle. It starts locally. For David, it started with the people he was talking to, the Jews. And then it goes from the Jews and expands to the Gentiles. And so this corporate worship is saying, people of God, sing to the Lord a new song. We'll get to calling others to sing to the Lord a new song. But first, you sing to the Lord a new song together. Which brings us to the second call to worship. Again, this is in verse 7. Ascribe. The psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. It may be helpful in, in talking about this to first define what it means to ascribe. Ascribe is a fancy way of saying give. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. But if you're like me, you're, you're thinking to yourself, how can I give anything to the Lord? He has created the heavens and the earth. We read that before we get to verse 7, and we'll come back to it. But, but that's not actually what it means. There are two ways that we can ascribe someone something. We can give them the thing, or we can simply acknowledge you have the thing. I'm going to acknowledge that you have the thing. Remember what we were just singing. Lord, we give you a crown. We crown you king. We didn't make him king. We, we acknowledge, God, you are king. I'm not going to even try to make another person a king because you're the king. I'm not going to try to say someone else is glorious or strong because, God, those things, they belong to you. I've tried giving them elsewhere, but I'm no longer going to do that. I ascribe them to you. So in that sense, we give him what he already possesses. When we praise God, we are acknowledging him for who he is. We're saying, you're king, so we sing that you're king. You're strong and glorious, so that we sing that you are strong and glorious. And that starts to get us to point number two. Because we're being called to worship, but it is important to recognize how we're being called to worship. How should we worship? It's according to his greatness. The quality of our praise should reflect the quality of the one that we praise. If God is abundant in glory, our, our praise should be abundant. Remember earlier I said these sections are subdivided. Call to worship, cause of worship. When we consider the cause of worship, the cause of our singing, why sing? Look at verse 4. For great is the Lord. Verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. It's saying, look, verse 4, God is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. That's why you sing. God 
is a god above all other gods. These other gods, the, the actual word that's used there for worthless, worthless idols is actually the, these gods are nothings. They're fleeting vapors. Again, in the original language, it's a play on words. It's like it's not even worthwhile calling you gods because you have none of the characteristics of the real thing. You're an imitation. You're worse than an imitation. You're a bad imitation of the true God. That's why we worship. And we see that throughout this psalm repeatedly. Again, verse 4, great is the Lord. Verse 5, he made the heavens. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him. Verse 6 as well, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. We sing to God because God is worthy. We're called to worship because God is worthy. The question is, does our praise to him reflect proportionally the glory that we recognize in him? This was difficult for me in approaching this scripture. Because here's the thing. If God is just teeny weeny little bit glorious, teeny weeny little bit strong, half-hearted praise is okay. He don't deserve no better. But if he really did make the heavens, if splendor and majesty really do kneel before him, if strength and beauty really are his attendants, if he really reigns and holds the world in its place, like it says in verse 10, then what do we do? What should our praise look like if God is actually as great as he says he is? What should our corporate worship look like? Because this isn't a metaphor. It's not saying live your lives in such a way that you sing to the Lord. It's saying sing. That's why this was hard for me. I don't like to sing. I don't like to do too much. I like to chill, get my little sway on, maybe, maybe a little of this. But he's saying to sing saying God is great and greatly to be praised. What kind of praise? Well, I told you to sing three times. One of the things that's helped me with this is actually a conversation I had with one of my roommates a couple months ago, actually, before I was even asked to do this sermon. And I wanted to get his perspective on how he approaches singing at church, essentially, because He's very expressive, he sings very well, he can keep his arms in the air for a very long time. Like, he does all the stuff that I can't do very well. And it was so helpful what he shared because I, I viewed him as someone who is just, like this comes naturally to you, this is what you love, this, is, this has never been an issue. But his response, I'm not gonna quote him, but essentially here are the things that he communicated. First, he doesn't always feel like praising loudly or lifting his arms. Second, he knows he's not obligated to. He knows that he is free to worship how he pleases. He is not redeemed by his arms raised or his singing. He's redeemed by Jesus. So he's like, I don't have to do those things. But the third thing he shared is that he often does it, especially when he doesn't feel like it. 
He often does it, especially when he doesn't feel like it, for two reasons. One, God is worthy. God is worthy of the best praise he can summon. And two, even his feelings kneel before Jesus. I thought that was so helpful for me to hear that one, I'm not unusual for not feeling like it all the time. I I used to be an enemy of God, y'all. Of course, I don't feel like worshiping all the time. Of course, I don't feel like singing all the time. I was his enemy. I hated him for a long time. This is not natural. But when Christ saved us, he redeemed us of all things, of all sins. He strengthens us for all things. Of course, he's going to strengthen us to do the very thing he's commanding us to do. But we have to ascribe to him the glory and the praise, not not how we feel. And as a caveat, this isn't saying y'all ain't really worshiping if your arms aren't raised. Don't leave here telling people Michael told you that. It's not true. That's not true. Fog machines, fancy lights don't equal praise. Arms lifted don't equal praise. We're told elsewhere in scripture to be still and know that he is God. So take it to the extent that it applies to you. My point is we are called to praise greatly in accordance with the great God that we praise. It's worthwhile asking, are we doing that? It's just worthwhile asking that question. Because in verse 8, we read, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. How much glory is the Lord due? How would you even begin to answer that question? Like, are we supposed to, like, the, the, the point is you can't measure it. When you see the things that the Lord has done, when you see who he is, of, of course he's worthy, he's due all the glory, he's due all the praise. And when it says bring an offering, of course, in, in the context we know that this was a people who brought offerings literally to the tent and later to the temple. But we can also bring offerings. And, and in, in this instance, I'm not thinking specifically of the offering that we give financially. I'm thinking of the offering that we bring that is ourselves. What if the offering the Lord wants us to bring is ourselves saying, I'm willing to be embarrassed praising you, God. You're worthy of that. I'm willing to be a little uncomfortable praising you, God, because you're worthy of that. I'm going to ascribe to you, not how I feel, not what other people think of me, the the due attention. What if that's what God would have us to do? Which brings us to point number three which is the point that we've already touched upon, that this song has missional implications. If Pastor D was sitting here, he would be like super enthusiastic that we're talking about global missions because that's what this is doing. So remember, this is written by a Jewish person to a Jewish audience. It wasn't written to Gentiles. But this Jewish person is writing to his Jewish audience saying, we got to go sing this to all the nations. We got to take this outside of our bubble. Yes, we're the chosen people of God. But remember what God promised to our forefather, Abraham, that he would use his offspring to bless all nations. Y'all, 
we don't know at their time, they didn't know what that would look like. They just knew that's what God had promised. We know the offspring of Abraham that he was talking about. We know that it's through Christ that we Gentiles were brought into the fold in that expanding circle of those praising God. To prove that to you, let's look through the psalm. Verse one, sing to the Lord all the earth. Declare, this is verse three, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Verse seven, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Verse nine, tremble before him all the earth. Verse 10, say among the nations. Verse 13, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. All throughout, the people of God, who this was written to, are instructed to declare what they've seen and what they've experienced to people who have not heard or experienced those things so that they might be able to declare and give God his due just as they've been doing. That's what I mean when I say that this psalm is missional, that this psalm is calling all of the peoples, not just God's people, not just, not just us in here, but the four corners of the block, the four corners of the globe. That's why we have that as our mission as a church, is because we see even in Old Testament times that the people of God are not only to worship by themselves, we are to worship by ourselves when we gather, but we're also supposed to go and praise God elsewhere so that other people can praise God. Amen? But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 11. It says, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then the trees of the forest shall, ooh, then the trees of the forest sing for joy. This is describing not people praising God, clapping their hands, shouting for joy. This is saying that creation will also do these things. And so again, the expanding circle, God's people, all people, all creation, everyone, everything is being called to praise God. In some sense, this should remind us of Romans chapter eight. I'll read it for you in verse 19. It says how even the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And, and in that context, it's talking about seeing who, who are these people that God has chosen for himself. And, and the way that they'll see that is by them living the way that God has called those people to live. The creation is waiting to see that because the creation is waiting to praise along with us. So it's not just people who are called to praise. It's everything that's called to praise. Which brings us to our last point. For he comes. Again, the structure of this psalm, two parts. Both parts have a call to worship and a cause of worship. The call to worship in part one is to sing. The, the reason for that is because God is great and he's worthy of that singing. The call to worship in part two is to ascribe to God, to acknowledge him for who he is. And the cause for that is because he is coming. We see that most clearly in verse 13. It says, 
Actually, we'll start in, in the end of verse 12. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in faithfulness. God is coming. God is coming specifically to judge. And this psalm talks about it as though it's a good thing. It says that creation will rejoice at this. It's at the conclusion of a psalm that is in the context, remember 1 Chronicles 16, of a great thing happening. They, they had God's presence coming to them in Jerusalem through the Ark of the Covenant, and they rejoiced. In that sense, for them, God was coming, but that's not what this psalm is talking about because God was coming, but they were looking forward to the future day when he would come to judge. God did come, but Jesus said he didn't come to judge. And so what is this talking about? This is talking about the next coming. This is talking about Christ coming again, and it's in the context of rejoicing. But again, if you're like me, you recognize that won't only be joyful, right? Psalm 130 includes this. It says, if the Lord should mark iniquities, who could stand? If God is coming to judge in righteousness, and he's coming to judge all the peoples in faithfulness, why do we consider this good news? Think about that. Why do we consider his coming good news? Why do we say, Lord, come quickly when life isn't going our way? Why, why do we actually rejoice at the thought of his coming when we recognize judgment is coming with him? As I considered this, <laughs> Philippians 3 came to mind. Um, if you want to turn there, it's Philippians 3 going from verse 18 through verse 21. And I thought it, it provided for me the, the clarity I needed for how something that can be so terrible for some people can be the source of my rejoicing. So again, it's Philippians chapter three, starting in verse 18. We're coming into the middle of a thought. Um, he says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even in tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. The reason this passage came to mind for him, for me, is because I remember that it's here where Jesus has talked about subjecting things to himself. He's described as God, as we see in Psalm 96, but it contrasts two things. In verse 18 and 19, again, it says halfway through 18 that many people walk as enemies of the cross of Christ and their end is destruction. When judgment comes, they will receive destruction. We are right in saying that will be a terrible day when the Lord's judgment comes. But in the next verse, verse 20, it says, 
But our, citizen, our citizenship, those who have accepted Christ, they await heaven, and from it the Savior, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And, and so I think what we're called to think of when we read the end of Psalm 96 and verse 13 is to ask, who is it specifically that's coming? We know it's the Lord, but in, in, in what context will the Lord be coming? Will he be coming like the ark came? Or will, he, or will he be coming in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus? I think our takeaway from this psalm is that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to judge. And, and yes, it will be terrible. But remember, the song did not start with judgment. Go with me back to verse 2. In Psalm 96, that is. It says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. The psalm starts by saying, people of God, sing to all people about salvation. For David, that would have included things like the exodus from, it, from Egypt. It would have included all of the various ways God provided for him. But we have a greater story of salvation to tell people. We have a greater song to sing to God and to other people. It's a song about Jesus coming to save. Our singing is not merely good for us. Our singing is about the Savior that the world needs in order for judgment for them to be a beautiful day, a day that they await with joy, like all of creation. Which begs the question, which group will we fall into? Now, this is no longer the corporate part. This is an individual thing to consider. Which group will you fall into? Those who are not just enemies of God, but enemies of the cross of Christ, enemies of the only way for salvation to happen. Enemies who say, God, I, I see what you've done. I see that you've come in Jesus, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sin, raised on the third day, rose into heaven, and you now sit enthroned. Don't want it. That's an enemy of the cross. That is the only way of salvation. That is the only way, except accepting that message that we deserve God's judgment, that we deserve destruction, but don't have to have it because Christ has accepted that judgment for us. That is the only way his coming will be a glorious day for us. Again, look at verse 13. The second part of it, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Whose righteousness are you relying on? If you're relying on your own righteousness, judgment day will not be a good day. But if you rely on the righteousness that Christ provided for you, celebrate, sing, await his return, look forward to it, clap like the trees. God is coming. That is a good thing. Sing to him. We have reason to sing. Sing new songs. Sing new songs every day you recognize, I'm still saved. I am still covered by the blood. On October 29th, I got a new song. If nothing else, I'm going to replace the date in the song that I was singing because what God has done for me in the past still applies. 
If that does not apply, though, maybe today is the day you begin singing this song along with God's people. Maybe your song today is crying out to him that you are in need of a savior. I know a song about that. I know a song that talks about God's ability to save. And I know he's capable of saving because he's capable of all things. He created the earth. He created you. He created all people. And he is coming back. So would we now ascribe to him the glory that he is due? And I think a, a fitting in for looking at this psalm, I'm not going to sing again until I'm down there. The worship team is going to help you all with the first call to worship, singing. But I thought maybe I could lead us into a time of ascribing. That, that's the thing that we're called to do in verses 7 and 8. And so we're going to do a couple of things. One, I'm going to ask you all to stand again. I'm going to ask you all to stand with your Bibles in hand. And again, we're talking to, or we're about to talk to a great God, a glorious God. And I want to give us the opportunity to lift our voices. You don't have to sing, but maybe reading aloud praises to God would be a fitting end of an instruction to ascribe him glory and strength. And so on the screen, I've selected some psalms that are psalms of praise. You can turn to one of your other favorite psalms, but this could be a good reference point for you. And what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna start reading aloud on the microphone, then I'm gonna put the microphone down, so we can all hear our voices crying out to God, his goodness, his gloriousness, his worthiness. Then I'll come back to the microphone I'll pray for us, and we'll transition into the other call to worship, singing. Amen? Amen. So I'm just going to be reading Psalm 96 again. Choose the way that you want to glorify God in this moment. You can cry out your own praises, but if you want to reference the Bible, please do. God is pleased when we read the Bible. Amen? Amen. So please do, do join me as, as I read. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Lord, thank you for being a God worthy of our praise. God, thank you for deserving all these things that we say about you. God, we are not doing this in vain. You hear us. 
You call us to worship because you are listening. You call us to worship because you are worthy of this. And you do this for our good, God. You don't need our songs. You don't need us to remind you who you are. But we benefit from singing to you, God. There is something you do to our hearts when we sing songs to you. God, reshape our hearts through our singing. Reshape our hearts through the way that we worship you, God. Help us to set aside our, our devotion to worthless idols. God, they are nothing, but you created everything. God, you have all strength and all glory. When we think about the, the things, the situations, the people that we are concerned about, they don't have strength. But we have you, God. God, may those of us who do not have you cry out to you. May they ascribe to you who you are. May they call you Savior. May they call you Good Counselor. May they call you Heavenly Father. God, may they cry out to Jesus saying, I see you for who you are, and I trust in your righteousness, not my own. When you return, I look forward to it. I look forward to being with my king. God, we ascribe to you the glory that you deserve. In any way that we are not doing that, God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for not judging us based on this, but, but judging us according to where we are with Christ. So God, as we transition into a time of singing, would we sing, sing, sing a new song? God, if in no way else would we sing that song with hearts that are renewed by your word, you are deserving of our praise. And we thank you for inviting us to sing this song. God, give us grace as we aim to expand the circle of those who are singing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>